yeah, and then he said, give me some time to think about this. And he called me a week later. I went to go see him. And he had built the first like neural engine that would be the beginning of Minerva. And then since that time, we've been you know, training data sets, um, refining how we use her, increasing functionality, making her capable of providing like a, a risk score associated with that external profile. Uh, Jen, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Where are you, where are you calling, from, calling in from? Uh, I'm in Toronto. You're in Toronto. Uh, are yeah. you out of a co-working space? Uh, where are you currently? I am in the Founder House um, from Prize, which is an accelerator that we're a part of. And they just bought this house and renovated it. And I am sitting in the back office. It's very echoey in here, so I hope it sounds okay. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds great. Um, so perfect. I haven't heard of this accelerator. What, what do they focus on? So Acceleprise is primarily focused on B2B SaaS. That's kind of their sweet spot. Uh, they're here. They're in San Francisco and I think New York. I know there's three cities. I just forget the third one. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, awesome. So uh, I really want to jump in this with you because you know, your, your, your startup, Minerva AI, Really cool things you're working on, you know. Uh, I think there's a really interesting space you're entering into. But I'll leave you to describe it. Uh, you describe it. Can Can you give us a quick bio of what the company is and what you do? Yeah. So Minerva is a financial crime fighting platform using deep learning and automation to like quite radically improve the efficacy and the efficiency of financial crime investigations, and specifically a process referred to as enhanced due diligence or EDD in the industry, which is a fairly prescribed set of chores that you need to perform and document the hell out of um, in order to make your regulator happy. Cool. So I think that's uh, a lot of key steps uh, involving that. Who would your like uh, end client be? Who would use these kind of services? Uh, any financial institution, so the so the big guys, right? Like here at CABC, BMO, Scotia, that crowd, and then also like the credit union world, they have the same set of obligations to fulfill in many cases, but you know a fraction of the resources to get that work done. Um, a crypto trading platforms, really anywhere where you're moving money, there's a place for Minerva um, in in your operations there. Definitely, so. I mean, this space is really uh, contested, right? Like, you know, especially with uh, all this, uh, everything moving into more into uh, online, cyber crimes have been, been going through the roof, right? Yeah. Uh, I'd love to dive more deeper into that. But let's start with, uh, you know, what got you into this space? You know, uh, what led you personally into into this problem? So, oh, gosh, a long time ago, uh, I had a career in communications. I was the head of communications for uh, a, an investment firm. Um, and I wasn't loving my life for my job. And I left and a friend of mine called me. She was working at an uh, anti-money laundering program over at Bank of Montreal and said, could you come in here and kind of do the thing you do and sniff around and tell me what's going on and you know, what are the gaps and what do we need to um, start to fill in terms of you know, getting this new system up and running and getting people trained. So I went in pretty blind. Uh, to that gig, as it were, I went in as, an, as a consultant, and then I spent the next year just like consuming information in the most insane way. Um, you know, reading the regulations, reading all of the material, the guidance provided by the regulators, really trying to understand 
and get under like, what is it that we're trying to do? Like, I know we have these things we have to do and we have to prove it to you that we did them, dear regulator, but like, what's the why and, and how do we really make sure we're doing that part? So on that particular job, I met my co-founder, Victor Tay, um, and we both ended up working over at CIBC for a while, also in the anti-money laundering group. And it was, I mean, it, it struck me particularly how similar the challenges were uh, that we saw at BMO and at CIBC. And then when we spoke to folks at other financial institutions, the challenges around um, the investigation unit are, they're, they're tough. It's a tough nut to crack. And uh, if I can describe a financial investigation unit to you at a, at a big bank, it's several hundred investigators, human beings, who are looking at cases that are being generated from a transaction monitoring system per se, or you know, a data leak list, or you know, someone shows up in the newspaper, have done something terrible, you need to make sure that they're not sitting on your books. Um, that, that function is so burdened with really manual processes. So imagine if you're an investigator and you get hired to do this job and you're going to work in anti-money laundering and you're going to you know, detect and deter money laundering crimes like human trafficking and then you get to work and you find out really you're going to spend most of your day like doing Google searches and cutting and pasting. It's a huge disconnect from the, you know, the purpose of that, of that job and it's, you know, it's quite discouraging and because of those reasons churn in those groups can be really high, uh, the experience isn't really great for investigators, it's quite hard to continually like educate and increase the knowledge of um, a population that's turning over really quickly. That is a, that is a, that is a problem. Um, and so really, I just wanted to solve the problem. I wanted to actually enable them to stop financial crime. I wanted them I wanted to enable them to identify human trafficking. I wanted to get out of a backlog situation and get them moving more in kind of a real-time risk assessment. So that's, that's really where that came from, which was like banging my head against the wall with my co-founder at the time, um, trying to solve the same problem over and over and watching a lot of different approaches fail because we weren't addressing root cause. Hmm. I mean, that's that's quite a, a quite a step uh, to take, right? Like, you know, you start off as, as a consultant uh, for these banks, jumping in and, and, and putting out fires, and you start thinking about, you know, how can I get proactive? How can I get ahead of these things? Um, you know, there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of learning curves that goes into this, right? Like, especially launching a tech company. Uh, have you have you ever you know launched something uh, yourself before? I mean, you talked about being a consultant, but uh, how long have you you know do you have a history of being an entrepreneur? Have you found things before previously? No, um, no, I have none of those things. Uh, what I think I have is I, I came across a problem that I wanted to spend the rest of my life solving because it's, I mean, I think it's a very mm. important, very worthwhile pursuit. And I just don't get, I don't get bored. I don't get bored of the subject matter. It's always interesting work. Um, yeah. Yeah, I kind of like, I just kind of nerded out when I got to that Bank of Montreal job and I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I think I met, you know, a, a few people, a handful of people who, you know, were drinking my Kool-Aid um, and everyone else was there just for their, for their mm. job. Um, but I can't imagine anything more important than, you know, putting an end to human trafficking.
for example. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's a it's a plague that uh, you know affects everybody. It's a society, society has to step in for that. So, I mean, kudos for you taking on that problem. It, it's that that itself, it's a it's a huge problem itself. But in t- in terms of like you know financial fraud and uh, and white collar crime, you know, what does it what does it take to get to a point where you know you're consulting for these big banks? Like, what kind of experience do you need to have? What kind of training do you need to get? Like, uh, what what you know, how does that look like to become uh, to work at that level? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it can come in a lot of different forms. I mean, some people come in uh, very operationally proficient. Some come in as a subject matter expert. I desperately wanted to be a subject matter expert. Um, and I've been lucky enough to work with some actual subject matter experts. So, like, I really busted my ass to get to where I needed to be from uh, a, knowledge, a knowledge level. And then if I had any superpower, it was kind of, it was being able to translate, here's what the requirements say, but here's what it looks like in practice. And that's, and then if you can deliver, you know, you can deliver results, then, then, um, you know, then people are, are much more willing to talk to you. And also it's, it's not a huge community, right? The anti-money laundering banking community, not so very big. So you are kind of running into the same folks over and over. Yeah, I, I can imagine like, you know, there's these niche communities that exist that, uh, you know, especially in like in a very uh, advanced professions uh, that you get networked really into. And it's so important to, you know, keep in touch with everybody. So, you know, talking about this, like, you know, uh, like cyber crimes, it's such an evolving thing because the speed of innovation, the speed of technological change is as rapid, right? The last 10 years have been such such a crazy whirlwind of uh, of change, right? How do you like um, you know? How do you keep up with this? Like, uh, like uh, as someone who th- who thinks about this, um, you know, how do you how do you keep up with the speed of technological change? What do you how do you how do you uh, how do you keep yourself current? Uh, so there are a few few components to that, really, um, and one of them is just understanding kind of what's happening around you. So, from a perpetrating financial crimes perspective, there is no end uh, to the innovation and creativity. Um, of the criminals they're you know they're always going to be ahead (laughs) and our job is to like anticipate predict identify and be able to get there a whole lot quicker than we do today I mean if you looked at if you looked at like the financial criminals as having the same kind of technology as the Avengers then that makes the financial crimes folks (laughs) right like it's not a fair fight we're, um, we're dealing with some fairly antiquated uh, processes. Um, yeah, and so that was kind of the first hurdle, which is like, if I look at how that works today, how do I remove all the busy, all the busy work, all the stuff that's a time sucker but doesn't actually identify the risk or help me solve this problem? Uh, and we went at, went at that from an automation perspective. And then what we have found useful in trying to keep pace with the innovation and evolution of financial crime is when we look at a client, whether it's a person or a company, trying to look at that company um, very holistically, like basically asking the universe, you know, who is this and, and how do they operate in the world? And so Minerva, what Minerva does is casts a very, very wide net. She's going through billions of data points in a blink of an eye 
in order to identify the target, use the contextual information around the target to find all the other targets that match that contextual information. So not just a name or a DOV, um, but much richer information. That information comes back and what I get to look at and what I get to understand is, sure, I can see all the components from a regulatory perspective that I need to have, but then I also understand the total risk of this person or this entity quite holistically because I'm looking at you in the news and I'm looking at what you're saying in social and I'm looking at you know whatever watch lists if they're if you're sitting on any of those um, you know what are those telling me about you are there any legal cases outstanding has there been any disciplinary action um, issued by a regulator for any particular reason that stuff is really really rich and today it is a pain in the face to get all of it together and then I guess mm. the other the I mean, other that sounds sorry, go ahead. And the other component of Minerva is then being able to, you know, learn and understand from the data that she's uh, consuming to be able to make um, predictions or pre-identify emerging patterns uh, and profiles of what risk might look like and start identifying those and then looking for an operator to confirm whether she's got that, that right or not, which is also incredibly useful. Hmm. First of all, I love the fact that you call, um, you know, your, your, your technology a she, you're personifying <laughs> it. Uh, right. So, <laughs> so you know, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Right. So you're, is this like a, almost like an AI you're training to, you know, look for like, um, uh, like, 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 um, a like analysis almost, right? Like yeah. train it yeah. to look at certain models of penetrations or certain things that have done. Yeah. I think of it, um, imagine, yeah, if sorry, you had, so imagine if you had the superpower to like find your actual target and then cross-reference every piece of data that is available about them against that profile to find out if that information actually belongs to that target. Right. And that's, hmm. That's really meaningful and really um, quite a long piece of work that you know gets done today. That gets to you know under the two minute mark with with Minerva. So yeah, it's it's quite accelerated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, that sounds like that sounds pretty cool. Uh, you know, I love the idea that um, you know AI is almost seen as like an augment to human capability, right? Like it just it is databasing and, and going through information so much quicker than we can and augmenting um, what we already naturally do at a higher capacity. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about, uh, you know, building this thing, right? Um, so, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a financial, uh, like almost a consultant for these banks. Uh, you were doing, um, you know, uh, financial fraud detection and all these, all these different activities. How did you go from there to like building this AI uh, that can go out and, 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 and do this at a higher capacity in real time? So a few years ago, I guess quite, quite a few years ago now, um, Victor and I um, were talking to a friend of ours out at McMaster University, and I was having my usual rant about work, and you know, having my, like, if I had a magic wand, this is how I would do it. And um, my friend said, I think I might know your magic wand, and introduced us to uh, Damien, who is our CTO. And so we went out, as founders do, for beer and pizza, uh, and had a long chat about what it was we were trying to achieve. And Damien was just finishing his master's uh, in cancer research where he had built an AI to do 
um, intelligent data aggregation and then analysis to help correlate you know, a million disparate data points around the same type of cancer or around the same type of drug being used to treat that cancer. And so when I told him what we were after, he immediately saw the corollary between the, the two problems. And man, when was that? 2017, 2018? And um, yeah, and then he said, give me some time to think about this. And he called me a week later. I went to go see him and he had built the first like neural engine that would be the beginning of Minerva. And then since that time, we've been you know, training data sets, um, refining how we use her, increasing functionality, making her capable of providing like a, a risk score associated with that external profile uh, of data. Mm-hmm. Uh, literally labeled hundreds and thousands of, of data points to teach her. And now it's a more of a, um, we have our own app called Minerva Learn, which is an ongoing training platform where she presents me with something and says, I think it's this, and I either confirm, you know, or correct. And so she has a continuous flow of data coming in. And, you know, and we have controls around things like watching for bias being introduced into, you know, any of the results, because that would be a big no-no. And the reason we wanted to consume data from source was because we didn't want to have anybody in the middle curating or touching or tainting the data in any way with their view or their opinion. Um, we just wanted it to come in kind of clean that way and, and teach her from there. That's, that's so interesting. You know, you got, you got this friend of yours that you met that uh, built out this model and you started training it. Um, so this is uh, this is really interesting to me because because uh, you know we hear a lot about AIs now. The technology of building an AI is not too sophisticated. Like you can actually launch a neural net, you can launch this engine, but really what's uh, important is that, is the data you feed it, right? And how you aggregate the data, and how you refine it, right? And how you uh, label the data points and things like that. That's really the sophistication behind the engine now, right? Where yeah, you know, I- like if you're launching something like this, like how- yeah, go, go ahead. Having multiple layers, uh, multiple neural nets sitting on top of each other that are then able, then you're able to vertically integrate, right? Which is where you get the the richness of information instead of a bunch of binary questions, right? We started with machine learning models and then introduced, you know, natural language processing and deep learning as she matured. Uh, it sounds weird now when I say she. Anyway, um, as she matured, uh, and so she now understands things like when she reads a news article, she understands context, sentiment, risk, uh, risk typologies in financial crime, um, which is quite, you know, actually quite amazing thing for her to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, where would you go about getting data, uh, like accurate data for this? I mean, obviously you were in the field and, and and you understood this, but is this data like readily accessible? Is there, you know, is there databases like paid databases? Is there, is it behind like a security code? Like, where would you get the data sets to? Uh... Yeah. So there's lots and lots of rules about uh, taking and collecting and aggregating data. So two things. Um, Minerva is a permission based. Uh, 
I don't know what else to call her. She's permission-based in terms of how she uh, identifies and aggregates data. So she will engage with the security protocol, ask if she's allowed to scrape or take the information. If the answer is no, we have our own search engine that goes in and just indexes the link. So the link will come back to the analyst and they can access the information as a human being where a bot could not. In terms of identifying sources, we kind of just went to, we started with the regulators. So sanctions lists. They're free, they're public, they're posted by you know, a series of relevant regulatory bodies. They're responsible for updating them. So we consume those um, through uh, an ongoing, like a, a regular feed and we, all of our searches happen in real time so there's no stagnant data in any of the reporting. And then the news, uh, you know, she looks at 50,000 some odd news outlets globally um, uh, in multiple languages and 36 languages and we'll do some translation for you. Uh, and really the purpose of that is to understand, um, you know, if publication X says this, you know, uh, does every, does the rest of the world kind of agree on that or is there multiple opinions about, you know, what is particularly true? and being able to cross-reference them to try and get to some kind of ground truth. Um, and a lot of our data, I mean, some from the government websites, they are, you know, woefully behind, and we're indexing massive PDF libraries, thing, things like that. We ingest uh, hmm. SEC filings, and we cut up and parse them um, into the bytes that we need them to be in. We pay for a select number of uh, data sources, usually specific to business ownership, because um, that can be a little more challenging to, to access on, on open source. But yeah, there's just a little bit of everything in there. Hmm. I mean, this seems like um, quite a bit of work to get situated and started, like a lot of, like, a lot of manual work to get the data, refine it and get it set up. How long yeah. have you been doing this? Uh, how long has this project been running for? Uh, so we started our build in 2018, I think. I, I know I'm screwing those up. It was 2017 or 2018. And then we didn't really pop up on the radar until like this time last year. So this time last year, we were accepted into Next AI Canada, which is an accelerator. And then from there, we got picked up by Acela Prize, mm. which is where I am now. Um, and yeah, and then we were just kind of off to the races. And the leap in um, the leap in accuracy uh, for Minerva from you know where we were a year ago when we entered the program to where she is today are, are night and day. Hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, a lot of these uh, a lot of these technology companies, a lot of these projects. They they work on an exponential curve, right? In the beginning, it's very slow methodological progress, as you know, it's labor intensive. But really, you you know, as you get as you get more and more powerful, more built up, you you follow the exponential curve. You know, like um, where are you at now? Like, how does the situation look like? Are you client facing? Are people actually using this yet? Um, are you still developing? Um, what's your state? What's your state status? So we are live and in market. Um, we have clients and we have a number of pilots that we're running, uh, which is probably the best thing ever in terms of getting feedback that you can really use to iterate and improve the experience for the user. So 
Yes, so that is that is going on. And then really what we're looking at now is the product roadmap and what is the next most useful thing on the menu of things that we should be attacking. So when I look at that workflow process of an investigation or enhanced due diligence, um, once you've been risk rated, you know, by your bank and everyone is low, medium, high, red, yellow, green, like pick your methodology. Um, those who sit in the higher category, and it could be for a number of reasons, it doesn't mean, you know, necessarily mean that you're risky, it just means your profile has certain markers. Um, those folks have to be reviewed on a fairly regular basis by law. You have to take a look at them. Um, and that process uh, is a pain in the face. It's called periodic review. Uh, and it's really, again, the human being going in and kind of pouring over a year's worth of information over a single client. It's manual, painful work. And so we're looking at the automation of that and using the, trying to use like an enhanced due diligence record from their first search to issue a delta for their second to say if there's been any material change between, you know, then and now. Hmm. So, okay. So, like going going to this uh, mode of getting it client facing, right? Was there any initial challenges getting people to use this, or oh, yeah. even demoing it, or um, you know, yeah, it's very sensitive <laughs> data and sensitive information, right? How how did that look like? It's a uh, you know the first the first real big hurdle is is trust. We're a startup. Mm -hmm. um, I think the only reason some folks agreed to even let us in the door to have a conversation was because they knew us from previous <laughs> roles, right? In banking. Um, otherwise, there would have been no way. Mm. So if you look at, so for example, uh, you have to scan every client who opens an account against sanctions lists to make sure that they're not sitting on one of those because you can't do business with them. So every bank on earth pretty much has to do that. If you get it wrong, uh, punishment is quite severe, both from a reputational as well as mm. from a financial perspective. So the big players like LexisNexis and Thomson Reuters have dominated this space for a really long time. Um, and they have these deep, long legacy relationships with financial institutions. The financial institutions pay a small ransom to use that particular service, um, but they're very comfortable with the service they're getting, even though there's gaps in their data. So for example, uh, you know, a politically exposed person in Canada has a slightly defi different definition than one in the U.S. So some of those big engines, those big market players, wouldn't necessarily identify the mayor of a small Ontario town uh, as qualifying as a PEP, but they do in our context. So we're using things like, um, you know, inference and occupation and the contextual data to determine if someone could be a PEP outside of this, you know, definition of being a political operative in, in some way. Um, mm -hmm. So getting people, getting banks like comfortable with this is actually a very simple um, task that's being performed. And yes, it's high stakes poker. You can't get it wrong. Is it is a challenge. Um, yeah, I would say that just establishing yourself as credible and as the AI is reliable is the is probably the most challenging piece. Yeah. 
so going back to data and privacy, um, you know, we have a, we've had a number of uh, telehealth and uh, healthcare companies come through here, and they also deal with very you know private sensitive data, and there's uh, they have to comply with PHIPAA and HIPAA compliance, right? Which is a regulatory um, uh, system that you know defines what happens with uh, medical data. Is there a particular you know compliance law or a, compl- a particular regulatory body that oversees like this kind of uh, this kind of regulation or this kind of data? Yeah. So for I guess the answer is sort of, but also probably very soon, something more official. So if you think about it, we're pulling from open source data. So that information is out there in the world. However, aggregating it is not necessarily okay. Um, In the context of a bank assessing the risk of a client, they're entitled to that information to make a risk assessment about the client. So what we do with Minerva is We're using a technology called private AI, venture sitting next to me here, Um, and their uh, their software makes Minerva, especially the humans of Minerva, blind to the information. So I know that Bank X is conducting a search, and I know they've generated a report, but I'm not privy to any of that data, and only their user key can unlock the you know and match the personal information to the actual person we don't we don't do that for them so for us we really designed with gdpr in mind because it was certainly the most uh rigorous uh you know uh legislation out there in terms of protecting privacy so that is where we are now um will we be engaging hopefully with the privacy commissioner at some point yes that would probably be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, I think it's I think it's really important. And there's no human at Minerva who needs any of that information for any reason. So uh, you know, Minerva, the AI can learn from it, but she can't share it. And I think that that's important too. You know, it's really interesting that you're complying with the GDPR. Uh, you know, even though you're, you know, you're, you're North American, you're a Toronto-based company, because uh, you know we had a recently um, a company from uh, Mexico that moved to Toronto to start its uh, its its uh, data its data play its uh, sorry technology play, and the reason they came here is so they can purposely comply with HIPAA and PHIPAA compliance because they know if they can hit that standard, uh, the rest of the world they automatically accept them. So, you know, it's interesting that you're saying GDPR is kind of the, the compliatory body there, right? So yeah. going back to like data and data privacy, I mean, this is a really key issue in today's today's lexicon, right? A lot, lot of people don't really understand how much data is available, how much can be scraped, how much can be utilized, especially, uh, especially by people who want to do uh, bad things by, by negative, negative actors, right? In your field of work, has, has anything like, like but like like any shock values happened about like you came across things any stories you can share about like you know about what happened what what kind of what kind of issues can happen if uh, you know if people like you are not out there like looking out for people uh, I, I mean I don't think we have anything like sexy or dramatic in that way I think that um, I think one of the things that strikes me is that so Google's not private in any way shape or form but hundreds of banks. Mm bank to conduct searches on their clients. That's bananas, right? So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's information I wouldn't want, you know, any, anyone to have. That's kind of a, a crazy thing to do. Um, I often overhear people having conversations about how privacy is not a big deal. 
and how it's improving their lives or their shopping mm. experience or whatever. And I will admit that I have like <laughs> entered conversations to which I was not invited to um, share some thoughts on what it means when anyone can identify the number on your phone as a user with you as a person and how that could unfold for them. And I think that's, I think that can be quite shocking for folks. Um, for us, we're not here to, you know, uh, vilify or get anybody in trouble. We are trying to provide the right relevant information uh, to assess the risk of a client when there's been a triggering event. So, for example, um, I, I don't know if you know this, but so you walk into a bank, right? And you shoulder your driver's license in your face and you open an account. Great. So off you go, you've got your account. That was pretty easy. Uh, now, as you transact with your institution or through your institution, um, they do transaction monitoring. Um, you know, there's behavioral thresholds and financial thresholds. I think everybody kind of knows that because everybody talks about the 10,000 uh, 10, trigger. So that spits out an instance of saying, you know, this transaction kind of fell outside of the, our parameters. Could somebody please take a look at it? It doesn't necessarily indicate that they've done anything wrong. Uh, it just means it fell, out, uh, fell outside of certain parameters and somebody should just check to make sure that it's okay. And so I'm, I'm kind of all, I'm all over that uh, in terms of equipping uh, banks and investigators with the tools that they need to, one, only get the information relevant to a financial crime investigation. I don't need to know everything and anything about you. I need to know in the context of this investigation, are you a bad actor or are you a good actor? Um, I think I kind of went off my topic there, but uh, I, uh, I, I don't think we're violating anyone's privacy because we are helping the banks fulfill their regulatory obligation, but we are not privy to that information. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, you hit some interesting points here that I want to dive into. So you talk about you know people being good actors with bad actors. Is there any gray zones that are existing? Like people just collecting data just for the sake of it? I mean, there's this... This is data brokerage, brokerage industry that I've been following really interesting, right? Um, mm -hmm. There's a recent article that came out that even Facebook buys data from data brokerages because they they have more data aggregate, uh, aggregation points than even like Facebook, which is like a known huge aggregator of data, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this huge, this huge gray market of, of data being sold and bought and traded, and it's been long for a long time. You know, um, you know, back in the day, it used to be like uh, debt collection, right? Debt collection agencies will buy uh, people's debt information and try to collect on it, and they would buy these lists, and it's all like a gray market. Nowadays, it's 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 moved on from there, right? Uh, I I don't think people really understand like the cookie crumbs of data that's available out there that people are taking and aggregating, right? Are you are you following this market at all? Anything that sticks out to you that's like really harrowing, like really a questioning? Yeah, I mean, certainly I, I really do only think about it in the context of Minerva and what does it mean for us. Um, you know, in order for Minerva to ingest um, data, we have to know that the data is clean. We have to know that it is not stolen, that it hasn't come mm. from a, or been compromised in any way. And that's a bit of a to-do, as you can imagine. And um, lots of folks who are aggregating and selling data, um, I don't think fall into that 
category around guarantees about the legitimacy of the data and how it was acquired. All of the legislation around uh, privacy and identity speak to things like uh, purpose and use. And, you know, you need this information for a real purpose or no. If you don't, you shouldn't have it. And I'm, I'm fine with that. We don't purchase data from those sorts of operations. Not to say we wouldn't ever. Um, it just hasn't been what we've been up to. And we don't sell any of our data. That would be a terrible, terrible gotcha. business. So uh, going back to this, right? <laughs> no, definitely. Uh, but, you know, the market exists and it, it's kind of a little terrifying uh, what's possible, right? Uh, I, I, so there's this holy grail in, in blockchain, right? The idea that we can almost NFT ourselves, like individuals on the on a blockchain. And then, you know, you can have, um, you know, all your, your passport, your your license, all your all your government data there, and then it can be an aggregator, like almost like a vault of data that that can you know come into this into this into this um, I guess vault, and then that can be your like your security key, right? Um, you use this data to verify yourself and interact with other things. So then you become like the wholesale keeper of your data, and then you can verify other other systems that use it. It's like a it's it's a, it's a very uh, you know uh, like out there idea. But it's been it's been a it's been like a holy vision that people have been moving towards, yeah. right? Well, and uh, a lot of governments are looking into this, like e-citizenship. Sorry, go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, no, it, um, you're you're right, and i I think of it I think of it in a couple of ways, which is would I prefer that to be the owner of my identity, the manager of my identity, and be able to securely, you know, release or send that information somewhere if I want to. And then we just have to assume that nothing bad will ever happen, um, which is highly unlikely, but that's true of every possible model. Versus a bank owning my identity and uh, a financial institution repping me to my you know, car salesman or my mortgage broker or whatever. I don't think I'm down with that. So, you know, it's, it's not a half bad idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Estonia um, you know, broke grounds with their e-citizenship uh, program, right? So now they can have a digital citizenship um, that you know you can you can you can prescribe to. You can actually buy a citizenship to Estonia and vote there, and like you know have this whole portal access. And Canada is really interested in this. Um, there's there's think tanks in Canada now researching how we can create like an e-citizenship portal for the clients, right? And one of the main issues behind this is that. In Canada, especially, we're so reliant on the the government is reliant on the banks to reach the people, and there's a, a bunch of people who are not who are the considered unbanked, even in a country like Canada, who don't have bank accounts, and even like you know you know like CERB or like the the all the government grants and availability. If you don't have a bank account, you are not qualified for it, right? And secondarily, you know, talking about these government programs, there's a lot. There's been a lot of lot of people who are not qualified who took this that took this. A lot of bad actors who manipulated the system to get get data, and now it's uh, you know the CRA and all these systems are now back uh, now like you know again proactively sorry not proactively on a backlog going through this to try to figure out you know who these bad actors were, right? 
Um, COVID was like a huge, uh, huge push for seeing how vulnerable our systems were and like how the government itself, the government itself doesn't really have a tally on its citizens and can't even help the citizens we need to. It needs to rely on this private, uh, on, the, on the private banks uh, in order to reach its citizens, right? Um, so, you know, I think this really opens up a huge uh, market uh, for you with Minerva, right? Like now there's a huge search going on for what's happened to all this money, where it all go to, what, you know, to go to the right people. Is there something that you would step into? Well, I mean, in this particular situation, if you, especially when you have a number of people opening accounts to collect something like CERB, which makes total sense, if that's the only way you get to eat or, or pay your rent, then you, you, know, you should be entitled to that money. What should probably be happening, though, during that issuing process is doing enhanced due diligence on the people as they, especially if they're net new to you uh, as a banking institution, doing a little EDD to make sure that, you know, there are no previous instances of, you know, fraud or money laundering and what, you know, again, asking the big question, what does the world have to say uh, about this individual, you know, uh, at a very, at a very robust and, and detailed level? Will that information come to light? Often it does. Right? Depend, mm. Depending on the risk yeah. of the institution, you know, if you stumbled across several news articles where somebody was a named party in a fraud scheme, I might think twice about whether I would continue that relationship. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was a recent news article came out, um, you know, there was somebody who was working within the government as a family, um, as a husband and wife who defrauded the government uh, like 16, $16 million or $1.6 million, something around that, in that range, by creating fake bank accounts and, you know, direct depositing themselves this money, right? Um, right? Uh, like the, so during this past year, over a trillion dollars in Canada alone was printed out uh, in order to support, you know, quote-unquote printed out, uh, mm-hmm. in order to support uh, all these government grants and incentives and programs, so I would imagine, you know, right now, there's a, this, this field is blowing up, right, of, of people who are now being contracted or looked into to kind of trace and look into. So I think you're, you're, you're in a really rich industry, right, <laughs> uh, and, and moving into it. Do you, you know, do you, do you see uh, a change, um, you know, through you know, in, 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 in the post-COVID world um, where your solution is more in need? Like, are you seeing more outreach towards you? Are you seeing an ease of access of uh, of talking to clients? Like, has there been an environmental change uh, th- after COVID? So I think the environmental change that we've experienced has actually been with um, smaller, mid-sized financial organizations, uh, crypto platforms, neo banks. That kind of smaller crew um, want to implement those kinds of controls quickly. Um, there seems to be a bit of awakening in that community. And, you know, you can thank, um, you know, regulators everywhere because they've issued some pretty fantastic fines in various jurisdictions to get people on side. And I think that's the kind of action, both from a regulatory perspective, um, that we need to get, to get folks to do what we need them to do. And I, by folks, I mean instant banking uh, service providers. Um, yeah. What was I going to say about that? Mm, yeah, so from a larger mm. banking perspective, I haven't quite seen that shift. I mean, we're having some interesting conversations, but from the big, big FI, 
it's like turning the Titanic, as they say. It's, a, it's really, really challenging. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a huge you know it's a, it's a it's a huge ship you have to like slowly maneuver out of the way. Uh the financial industry, you know, is going through this a huge uh, uplift now, you know, uh, the uh with the fintech industries, all these companies coming up and just taking sections of the problem and moving away. Uh I, you know, like in this in this industry that that's being heavily heavily augmented and now uh, now modernized through technology. There's definitely holes that need to be filled, right? Even now with the like you know through COVID, a lot of the banks, a lot of their uh, the the banks, the, the CRA, like the uh, like government employees are now working from home under the home networks where which are not secure and things like that, right? So we were talking to like penetration testing companies who came in here, cybersecurity firms who are now concerned about this, right? What is your chief concern, um, you know, in this in this in this environment um, that people have to look into? Uh, institutions have, have, have to be mindful of. Is it their employees working from home? Is it? Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I would be again. Like, I'm going to assume. I'm going to assume that most uh, bank employees are likely working through a VPN, so they're not working off of a home network. Um, and yes, so that is, and if they are, that's probably not great. Um, and so I would be concerned around things like information um, being intercepted. Uh, that would be the absolute worst case scenario. Uh, what else is happening in, in, in there that would be of concern to us? I think, I mean, okay, sorry. I'm, t I'm a little torn because I think the... You know, we've been talking about, we as society and certainly bankers um, have been t talking about the validity of work for home for over a decade. Um, yeah. And then COVID made it necessary. And then somehow a 10 year old, 15 year old problem magically was solved in six weeks. So <laughs> there's lots of potential there to, you know, be nimble and move quickly. Sadly, I think that's still really tied to its impact to revenue streams and less so on the risk side. Uh, and with that many bank employees working from home, my fears would be in no particular order, um, the security of the data that they're accessing and transporting to and from their financial institution from whether it's their home network or their VPN. Um, mm -hmm. The length of time it takes to do that work from your home laptop or computer whatever you were sent home with um, making a, a long investigation process longer and thereby falling further behind uh in in terms of caseload and that backlog of stuff that you need to take a look at growing and growing and growing um you know that's just a big giant pile of unmitigated risk sitting there so that would give me concern and then it makes things like, you know, finding the man and his family or people who are opening fraudulent accounts to collect money all the worse because you're not finding it until two to three years later. Jeez. I mean, a lot of complexities there. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, what does the future hold for, uh, for you and your industry, right? What does oh. Minerva look like in her fullest form, in her final, final form, right? For you, what is that vision? Oh my goodness, That's, I love this question. Uh, so in my, in my you know, future world of like five to 10 years out, Minerva is a couple of things, which is her predictive powers 
are really, really, really finely tuned and great at identifying risk, especially relationship risk. So as I try to understand who a client is, who they do business with, and does do any of those characters impact my risk assessment, being able to predict which relationships would be problematic would be incredibly useful. On a very big stage, I would like to see transaction monitoring programs married to the contextual data of a Minerva in order to truly identify when you have a problem, when you don't. Transaction monitoring is an incredibly blunt tool. I want to see all transactions between X and X spit out an alert. Um, I want to see transactions that, you know, act this way and act this way, spit out an alert. It generates a lot of noise and then it becomes very hard mm. to identify re real risk. And then you, as the institution, grow concerned that you're going to miss something because of that. So now every investigation is as important as the last. So there's no application of a risk-based approach and you can't allocate your resources to address the real risk. So I think in the future, if your, if your detection systems are this marrying of the client contextual data with the transactional information to say, you know, this is really, really out of character for Bob, um, or this is something that Cindy does all the time and we've actually spoken to her before and we're totally comfortable with this behavior. Uh, I think that's really important. I think the use of AI in order to really fine-tune market segments or client segments is quite important. So being able to look at you know, uh, client A over time and how they behave, and then when we talk about client segments where everybody is the same, um, we're actually talking about same for same, like you know, maybe we'll look at them by postal code, or maybe we'll look at them by bank holdings, or maybe we'll look at them demographically. Um, that kind of information would be way, I think, way more useful in the future. So that's, I, I want Minerva to make risk assessment real time. I want to be able to spit out an alert that says, based on this information, you know, here are all the harm hallmarks of human trafficking. Um, go, you know, it's, it's time to engage law enforcement or your regulator and uh, go pick this person up. Hmm. I mean, it, it seems like it's almost making personality profiles of people, right? And 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 pairing it against people. Um, and going back to this idea of like uh, of, of what uh, uh, of data brokerages are doing are, are doing uh, is creating a really like a a digital twin of people and their interactions and their capabilities, right? And what 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 we're we'll looking for is now you know deviations from their patterns, normal patterns, and their yeah. right uh, from that kind of point of view. I can imagine this being a really powerful tool. Um, going back to like the idea of per, uh, personalization and this uh, digital twin technology, right? Um, like if there if there ever was like a uh, capability for an individual to own their data set, right? Um, I'm just thinking hypothetically here because I, I love this kind of stuff, right? Like uh, you know, if, to own their own data data set, you know, I think what a cool point of view is a transactional layer between something like Minerva AI and that, right? It's like, almost like you're willingly giving away your data set and like, hey, look for intrusions against this, look for vulnerabilities against this, right? Look for how my data is being utilized against me, right? Because yeah, I think what we need to yeah, monitor yeah. my digital thing and tell me if we have a problem. I know. Yeah. It's, it's Do you ever? Sorry. It's ironic and weird Go that ahead. you have to give up so much of your identity in order to protect your identity. 
And I, I can think of, um, you know, a lot of people would really get stuck on that. Um, but it would be, in terms of like identity theft and things like that, that would be, you would solve that problem much more quickly that way, I think. Yeah, uh, one of the projects I've been really following closely uh, is Tim Berners-Lee, um, the father of the modern internet. He's he's off. He's doing a new project now, uh, launching it out of CERN. Uh, he's it's calling it Solid. Um, the Solid framework is a new protocol layer for the internet for apps. Uh, what it does is it, it decouples data from applications, yeah. right? So it allows companies uh, to launch applications where the data is still owned by the underlying user, but still still inter, uh, interfaces the technology and i'm really hopeful for this tech, uh, this this protocol layer because what it does is personalizes the data while still allowing companies to access it and 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 and, and deal with it and he's creating something called pods where individuals can have your own pod like almost like a vault of data and as different companies utilize this the the pod becomes more and more enriched with better and better data of yourself and my hope for this is, you know, what it'll allow is companies like yourself to do, rather than just be institutions being your clients, individuals can become uh, clients uh, clients of this. Because I think at the uh, end of the day, uh, people are concerned uh, of their data and how it's being utilized against them and how, um, you know, bad actors can utilize their data against them, right? Especially things get more and more sophisticated. And tools like what you have should be focused more now on the individual level rather than the institutional level, right, to protect the people. And I think we're going to need more of that in the future. Yeah, I think it cuts. I think it still cuts both ways for the for the individual or the consumer on that. So, you know, in the world where I have my pod and where I'm retaining all of this information, and then that's where companies come to access it. How do I know they're only actually accessing the components that they need or that they are entitled to due to the nature of our business relationship? So, that still gives me pause. Uh, and, and certainly there must be a way to, um, and con to have some more controls around that. Uh, if you wanted to engage a monitoring service to monitor your digital twin uh, to see if there's any infringement, I think, that's, I think that is really, probably really, really interesting. Um, mm. As of today, I wouldn't, as of today, I wouldn't sell a license to an individual to access Minerva because that's, her purpose mm. is, not, you know, today her purpose is not that. Today her purpose is to identify financial crime or bad actors, and uh, you know, there, you know, Joe down the street has no need to get in there and Minerva my name or yours or or anybody else's. We've had a couple yeah. of times where people are like, can I just buy a search? I'm like, yeah, no, no, you cannot. You cannot. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You'll have that's, to. Uh, that's that's. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think we have a little bit of a lag here, but uh, no, this has been great. Uh, Jen, I, I've learned so much from you. Uh, you know, you've opened up a whole wealth of knowledge. Uh, we tried to bring a lot of cybersecurity companies onto here, uh, and I think you brought in a very unique perspective um, to the kind of risk factors that we are dealing with. And uh, again, like I said, I think you're dealing with a very rich industry in the post-COVID world. Uh, I wish you guys the best. Minerva, and I love how you call her a she you know, looking forward to how she uh, how, how she becomes more and more advanced and becomes more utilized and love the fact again it's a toronto-based company that's doing this thank you thank you for having me it's been really fun it's hard yeah uh, talk about your business 
sometimes or to make it, uh, to break it off into sort of ideas that are easy to discuss rather than like, let's talk about the entirety of anti-money laundering legislation that would put most people to sleep. Um, yeah, I really love what we do. <laughs> We're solving a really important problem. Um, m most people know Minerva as the goddess of knowledge, but Minerva is also mm -hmm. the goddess of defensive battle strategy. And that's why she's, that's why she's named Minerva, because it is defensive battle strategy. We need to be able to protect our financial systems from misuse and, you know, by extension, the humans who pay the price on the other end. Yeah. Uh, if I'm mistaken, Minerva is a Greek version of uh, Artemis, the, yes. the Artemis, uh, the, the goddess Artemis. Yeah. yeah cool. Um, perfect, uh, Jen. Thank you so Awesome. So, you know, we'll end the episode here. I think it's been a, it's been a fun episode. I really learned a lot. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Stick around. Uh, we'll do a quick debrief. But for everyone who joined us, thanks. Check out Minerva AI. You can't buy it, but it's protecting you. <laughs> Unless you're a bank. <laughs>